0: Uh, we got your mailbag questions coming up in just a minute. All answered 100% correctly. But first, Steve Versink, this was a TV question that I had to field for Spectrum Sports. And here it goes. Something like this. Nikita Kucherov, as you know, is going to miss some time. We don't know how much time, but he's got the lower body injury. Looks like a groin to me. Um, now, we know that last season he missed the entire regular season, came back in the postseason, and the Lightning won the Stanley Cup playoffs. So... Should the Lightning be more concerned this year that Kucherov is injured than they were a year ago?
1: More cons- Well, uh, tell me how long he's out first. Uh, we know, don't is this Well, no, we don't. And, and is- all John Cooper at this point has said is it's not day-to-day. They're getting more information, which probably means a second. Significant opinion. amount of time, yeah. If you're talking about a torn groin, I believe that's mm-hmm. traditionally about a three-month process. So now that's halfway through the season. You're in you know, mid to late January at that point. Mm-hmm. And maybe it's not till the end of February because come February 1st you play a game and then you don't play again for three weeks with the Olympic break and the All-Star game. So you're talking half the season. The team this year is not as equipped to handle a loss like that. Bingo. You don't have Gord. You don't have You don't have Gord, right, right. You don't have right, Coleman. Right. That's right. This now means that – Taylor Radish and Boris Kachuk are both playing every night at this point. That's right. Depending on mm-hmm. – I, I assume they'll call up someone from Syracuse to be the 13th forward, and they'll get some time too, whether it's – you know, Jamel Smith still hurt, so you can't call him. Gabriel DeMont you might call up. You, you've seen him before. Uh, possibly Simon Ryfors, who's the kid they signed from the Swedish League, who impressed in, in camp, um, but he's – New to the North American game, smaller rinks and that. They've sent him down to Syracuse. I don't know if they'd want to call him up that quick. You could call up a real young guy, although I don't see that happening because it's probably going to be someone that's going to sit the bench more than they play. Uh, So, you know, maybe it's Gabriel Dumont that gets called up or someone like that to be, you know, to rotate in. But now you've got your two forwards that you kept, Radish and Kachuk, both going to play every night. Boy, do you wish you could still have had Alex Bari-Boulay at this point. Uh, he might have, have fit in nicely there. Now, so in practice on Monday, Corey Perry was on the first line.
0: He's but, going to be on the first line, and then Andre Pallott will probably, be, yeah. will probably be in the power play for his position. Otherwise. Correct,
1: and, and Pallott did that last year on the power play, so that's a kind of a natural yeah. slide in there. Corey Perry yeah. has the ability to play on that top line, and he had a funny line, and I'll paraphrase it, but it was basically like, uh, yeah, just get the puck to Braden Point and get out of the way. And <laughs> um, that's how you play on that top line. Just, you know, let Braden Point go do the work, which there's a lot of truth to true. that as well, too. Yeah. So, yeah. I, I, look, I think, you know, assuming he's going to be out for, let's say, at least a month, if not longer at this point, and I think that's pretty safe to say, then, you know, that that top line and, and a lot of the lines might be a work in progress. Well, we see Stamkos up there with Point and Palat. Uh, well, well, could Kalorn slide up? Corey Perry's going to try it. Could Ross Colton take some shifts up there? Um, you know, I, I think, it could Anthony Sorelli slide in there? Uh, I, I, although I don't know if you want Sorelli and Point together, that may not be the best. But but my point being is that I think you're going to see a, a lot of things happen. You're going you're gonna to see a lot of rotating in and out. Um, and, and look, this Lightning team you know, didn't play well the opener, Got didn't play the great in the second game, pulled it out, played pretty well in the third game. They actually played very well against Washington. I think this season's going to be a lot of ebbs and flows. They're not nearly as deep as they've been in the past. And and, and this is going to be a challenge to them. I mean, how do they – and look, I mean, they've won without him before. Absolutely. Can And do they have enough talent to still – to win and and compete? And, you know, at the end of the day, this Lightning team isn't interested in winning the President's Trophy this year. They want to get back to the playoffs. And that's – so – you need to be either top three in your division, or if you're not top three, you need to be the top two outside of that wild cards in the conference. So, you know, that's that's what their eye is on. Try to bank as many points early as you can. But this is going to be a bigger challenge than last year for several reasons. One, because you don't have the depth. You don't have Coleman, Goudreau, Gord, et cetera. But you also didn't know going into the season that was what you were dealing with. You know, this is now three games in, and you've lost – perhaps your best player, definitely your most creative offensive player that you have. So it's going to be interesting how they piece this together. Now, the other part of this is, and you can cue the jokes from last season, Kutroff's going to go on long-term injury relief or reserve if he's out for a month, two, three months. The amount of salary he's making during that time, potentially maybe you could add a player and make a trade for a player. And if he's going to be out even longer, don't know. I don't. I don't. I'm not an expert on salary cap, so there may be some other things. They're already kind of over it with Brent Seabrook on long term injury relief, who they traded for to to, when they traded Tyler Johnson to Chicago. They took Seabrook back, and that's how that trade worked out to give them cap relief, but they took on his salary, and then he's on long term injury relief. So there may be some issues there. I'm not an expert on that, and, and I haven't seen anybody write on that yet. But you know, so but. You know, is he out a month, two, three? And I think you know the lightning need to, f- to figure that out, and then they you know could figure out what they may want to do at that point.
0: Yeah, and, and that's pretty much what I said. Um, <laughs> a little, a little, little shorter, but uh, version. But no, it's the depth. It's it's a new team. Um, you know, your your fourth line is going to have rookies on it now, and and you know you don't know how long he's going to be out. I mean, a year ago they finished third, I think, in the division without him, um, but that would be a probably a, a a very fortuitous finish if you could do that if he missed this any amount of time this year but I it's just it wasn't in the plans like this you know injuries happen but like this guy now had, this is a thing right with Nikita Kucherov I mean when you miss a regular season and then you come back and you're going to miss a significant time at the start of a season the next year um it's not good I mean it's one of the best players in the NHL you know when you get him back it's going to be a huge bonus if you're still if you're still in it, and I think they have enough players to do that, but uh, it was this is a uh, it's quite a blow. It's unfortunate too because it's a type of injury. It's not a minor thing. It's something that's looks like it's going to take a significant amount of time. So um, we'll see how they navigate it, and that's that's why every year is different. That's why it's hard to repeat all those things. Speaking of repeating, a guy who can't repeat himself very loudly is Tom Brady. Forget about his thumb. There's nothing wrong with his thumb. His thumb's a little nicked up. It's his voice that's bothering him right now. Brady's had like some strained vocal cords for a good part of the year.
1: Has he been doing too many commercials. Is that you know wearing on his I voice? Know.
0: I don't know the this the subway avocado bread. I don't know. I don't know crypto, what's going crypto,
1: on. Crypto, you know, trading crypto.
0: <clears throat> yeah, I, something's going on here. But he, you know, he got this. Uh, he's had this a couple times now. He blames it on um, the fact that her suddenly fans back in the seats when they go on the road. strangely enough you know you go 19 of your 20 seasons you have crowd noise and then last season when he came here of course with covid most of the away stadiums were empty or damn near empty and so the communication wasn't tough when you went out to la and i i can attest to the fact that sofi stadium which is beautiful by the way it's also very loud it's 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 just constructed in such a way that it holds noise and um the crowd was amped up it was a big game and that's sort of the first sign of his tomcelitis or whatever he's dealing with right now. Yes, I said tomsolitis. Um Something's going on there, and and he's kind of gone in and out of this, you know, sort of sort of voice strain. Um, it was kind of that way coming out of New England, uh, going into the last game. So I don't know. Maybe it's allergies, you know, because they're bad right now. I can tell you that firsthand.
1: Maybe he's training himself, talking about whether he's going to play to age fifty or not.
0: Well, yeah, he needs to stop talking about that. seems like every week. Does I, 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 I said I could play to 50. I didn't say I was going to play. Of course I'm not going to play to 50, but I'll play as long as I damn want to play. That's what I got out of it. Also, if you listen to the uh, Let's let's Go podcast by with Jim Gray and Tom Brady, you would know that uh, make your plans, even though Tom Brady will be in New Orleans on Halloween night, make your plans to go by his house on Davis Island. I'll give out the address later. No, I won't actually give out the address. I do know it, though. But go by his home in of Island. He promises you that you would get great candy. Great candy at the Brady house. wonder what they give. See, my thing would be if you go to Tom Brady's house and he's got to have the full-size chocolate bars. That, that would be my, my minimum expectation.
1: He's not giving out full-size avocados? Well,
0: no, you don't want. That. I mean, I guess he could do the healthy food stuff, but that'd be awful. That'd be just awful. He said you're going to get good candy, so is is that going to be like?
1: Wait a minute, that, like a TB12 candy. That just, that just that means gonna, they're unveiling a new TB12 candy next week. That aren't, that's what. I,
0: yeah, you know what? You could be onto something. This could be a whole marketing thing. It could be like some. Yeah, we're some all falling nut, for it. Some nut bar that they're coming out with at TB12, <laughs> guys over there. Um, but yeah, so. I don't know. It sounded like an invitation to me. All you folks wandering around in South Tampa or Davis Islands area, just, you know, wander up to the Brady house. He won't be there. I, I would assume Giselle probably probably won't be there. Maybe some large men with, uh, you know, billy clubs or something sitting out front will be handing out candy. I don't know. We had this – when I was growing up, there was this – I probably shouldn't put them on Front Street, but, hell, they're, they're long gone now. We had this older couple – and they were like, like there's always in some neighborhood, you know, you'll, you'll have this, 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 this family that really kind of doesn't like children or pets. And so when a ball would go in their yard, typically it would stay there, you know. It was like you didn't it's go in and lawn. get it. And they had, yeah, like a lot like the Sandlot, except they didn't have the dog yeah, back well, yeah. there, you know, the beast. They didn't have the beast, but it was the front, even the front area. And, and to their credit, they had a manicured lawn. It was absolutely gorgeous, and it should be because no one was allowed to step foot on a damn thing. So we we avoided it, and their name, which I thought was kind of funny, their name, were they were the Moles. The Moles. <laughs> so I can't, you can't make this up. Like, hey, stay out of the Moles' yard. Yeah, okay. So sooner or later, you know, pets started dying in the neighborhood. There were all kinds of rumors. But anyway, on Halloween night, they'd be like, hey, man, are we going to the Moles' house? And it's like, oh, I don't know, you know. I don't think they're giving out candy. And, and because they were, they knew that they were a possible target of, of uh, vitriol and, and hijinks on Halloween night, um, they would have an off-duty officer <laughs> sitting on the porch, wow. and he gave out the candy. <laughs> <laughs> if you dared go up there, you would be treated, but I wouldn't do anything else if you were brave enough to go to the mole's house. So I don't think this is quite the Moles House. Tom Brady's house is not the designated Moles House, but I am curious as to uh, what what that scene would be on Davis Island, as as you know Brady is uh, trying to beat the New Orleans Saints, which is scary enough, right? Halloween night in New Orleans. Good Lord, I've been I've done that once. I've never done Mardi Gras. I've done New Year's Eve in in the French Quarter. Um, I have done Halloween in the French Quarter. Let me assure you, Halloween was worse because <laughs> everything you can imagine about the debauchery of, uh, of uh, New Orleans and particularly, you know, Bourbon Street and all that, it's worse because everyone's wearing a mask. Of course, now during COVID, everyone wears a mask anyway. But I'm just saying, like, there are people running up and doing things to people and you can't possibly identify them because they all have masks on. And it's just very creepy. But so I'm not going out Halloween night. Um, but that game is at uh, I think 4:25. The New Orleans Saints after they play the Chicago Bears this Sunday, which will be uh, which will be a good one. So, so we got that. Uh, so Richard Sherman news uh, based on my uh, creating my sources. Richard Sherman will not go on IR, which means that if he did go on IR, that was wow. automatic it, at least at least three weeks off. Um, but he's not going to do that. He's he uh, he has a strained hamstring. The MRI came back and. They're hoping, quote-unquote, hoping he'll be back, miss maybe two games, be back for the Washington game uh, up there against the Washington football team in in three weeks. But maybe not. Like, he may actually miss that game as well. But because there's a shot, um, they don't want to just rule him out, and if they put him on IR, he he would miss three at least. So um, you think about all the other guys that are out, right? They're probably not going to get Carlton Davis back in that time. They're probably not going to get – Sean Murphy bunting back during that time, so you you hold out hope that you know that maybe Sherman will come back, and then and then you got to pray that you know you don't lose any other players at that position because I mean they're down to you know very few like Pierre Desir and of course you know, um, they've they've had some some good performances. They should get Antoine Winfield back. Um, that's certainly going to help them. So, but no, Richard Sherman. He was funny on his podcast. You know, he said, know, well." thought I could pull it off, you know, came in three days, played a whole game, mission accomplished, you know, practice again, played a whole game, he goes, and then, you know, I just, I couldn't do it, you know, my legs, my legs said, nah, that's enough, so, pulls the hammy, and um, they won't have him for the, for the next two, at least, which is, which is a bummer, because, uh, you know, he said, he thought he was just starting to get his rhythm and, and starting to, you know, feel comfortable in the defense and all of that, and, getting into football shape, but um, not too surprising when you try to play three games in 12 days and you've done absolutely nothing, um, been on your couch in, in uh, Washington, in Seattle for all that time, and so uh, it's a shame. What else we got? Um,
1: Dick Vitale.
0: Yeah, boy, some some prayers and healing vibes needed for a guy who was a, who was just a national treasure, Dickie V. Um, who frequently uh, tweets at us, tweets at everybody really. Um, and I've known him for a long time going back to, we used to interview him regularly on the, on the show uh, with, with Tom Jones. Um, just a, I mean, you talk about a guy who works his butt off now, raising money for pediatric cancer treatment and stuff like that. Well, now we know that he had the battle with, with melanoma a little while ago. He beat that, um, had some uh, skin cancer cut off his face, I believe. And then now he, uh, informed everybody on Twitter that he has a former lymphoma. So he's battling cancer again and <clears throat> you know, I just think that you know, it's a, it's a it's a insidious disease that affects so many people. Um there's so many different forms of cancer, but the one thing I know about Diggy V is he's going he's going to battle his ass off and there's so many healing vibes going out to him that um rightfully he was he was overwhelmed by the response after he announced it, but So (laughs) keep him in your prayers and, um, you know, hopefully he will, uh, he will, he will come through this, this particular form of cancer as he did with the melanoma. So, um, but it's been a, been a tough year for him in that, in that aspect. You know, you just, you hate it for him because what is he like almost 80 years young? I think, Um I believe he's 80. Yeah. Yeah. And, and still going strong. And of course you see him at the Rays games, huge Rays fan, Bucks fan, all that stuff. Um, and of course, no better, no better ambassador, uh, to, you know, the Dickie V, uh, foundation and, and the money that he has raised for pediatric cancer research and, and, um, trying to find a cure for that and helping children and families who go through that horrible thing. Um, it's really been close to him. So that's, uh, that was some, that was some sobering news, but, uh, we're gonna, we're gonna, you know, live in our, uh, hopes and not our fears and, 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 uh, pray that he, uh, he gets through that. So.
1: So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com.
0: We got some questions about uh, about everything, I guess, coming up here on the mailbag segment. So let's get started.
1: We did. Craig in Vegas had tweeted, So during the Bucks game up 21 to 14 late in the 3rd, did the play calling go bad from that point on? They went empty set three downs in a row, not trying to work the clock on the fourth down play. You didn't have Leonard Fournette in the game, as well as you were not under center on fourth and two. Your thoughts?
0: Well, that's a lot of situations. Um, I have to break them down individually, and I'll try. But I, I think, I think holistically, you know, they they actually were up. I don't remember them being up 21-14. to 14. Are we talking about
1: – 28-14. It was up when they were up two scores, yeah.
0: They were actually – at one point they were up 28-7. Right. Uh, but it was 28-14. He's right. And the 14 was basically, you know, the, the big plays that they gave up in penalties in, in uh, two pass interference calls, one for 45 and one for 50, and that led to a couple of touchdowns. I think what happened – what had happened was is that you started to see – Philadelphia play different on defense, and what I mean by that is um, they started dropping everybody deep. They they did not want any shots over their head, and so I I think that you know Brady um, felt like they could spread the field with the three four receivers, sometimes tight end, three receivers, whatever, um, and they use Lenny. You know they they try to create some matchups for him um at the running back position at times as a receiver and at times he was successful but they just didn't they didn't execute as well and they had some penalties uh and the penalties set them back behind the down and distance but for the most part there weren't a lot of deep shots taken after those first couple series because you know philadelphia just said okay we're you know we're gonna sit back here in a soft zone and i think that's why you saw lenny run the ball a little bit i don't know why he wasn't in the game um on the particular fourth down play that, that play was not intended to go to OJ Howard, Um, you know, sort of down the field. He could have made a little better throw. OJ could have definitely run a better route and it was there. It was a, it was a good matchup for OJ, but it looked like he went for a little bit more than he needed to, you know, especially with just two yards to go. So I'm not exactly sure what I, I think they'd like a do over on, on both his choice of, of routes to, you know, to throw to. And then certainly they could have executed it better on both ends. But, um, you know, OJ did have a good game. I think he had six catches out of seven targets. That was the one he missed. So, yeah, you know, they kind of hit a lull there. And, you know, uh, that's the thing. I mean, you're playing another NFL team, and if you're not on it, they're going to make adjustments and make it harder for you. And, you know, they got off to such a great start at, at 28-7. to That game should have been, you know, well at hand. And the too many three and outs, too many punts, and next thing you know, um, they're kind of fighting for their lives. So it shouldn't have come to that, but uh, they did hit that lull, you know, particularly sort of at the end of, of each half. And, um, you know, that, that, that part wasn't good. But, listen, when we look back on this season, I promise you, virtually no one will be talking about that Philadelphia game. Um, no more than they talked about, you know, some – some nondescript games a year ago. You you really are, you know, trying to win games while you improve. And I think that the Bucks have done that in the last year and a half better than any team I I've, I've seen or certainly covered. Um, you see each week they get a little better at something, and they're they're definitely holding the fort down on defense until they get some people back. I mean, there's just no other way to do it, right? You get Todd Bowles is trying to keep everything in front of him, trying to pick his spots for when he brings pressure, when he dials it up. Uh, you know, he's got Jamel Dean back who's made some good big plays the last couple of weeks, a couple of interceptions. They're getting some turnovers. They're getting some timely sacks. I think Shaq Barrett's playing really, really well, but you don't have Levante David right now, and he may not be back this week, possibly against the, uh, the New Orleans Saints. So, you know, there, there's a lot of sort of, you know, just trying to solve problems, you know, with personnel and and just trying to trying to patch holes, if you will. And I think they're doing a good job of it. But they haven't played a complete game. You know, we haven't seen – I think the Miami game offensively was probably about as well as as Brady and them could play. Um, But as far as, like, the entire team, where you get the turnovers, where, you know, they're trampling the run. Nobody's running the ball on them still. They're doing some things consistently. Um, But they've had some games where they've struggled in the red zone. And, you know, it's kind of been – kind of been patchy and i'm still waiting for them to you know to to just kind of hit stride but i think it's going to take getting players back on defense before you have that continuity and that's really what you need you know the more players are together and i think you see that this year on offense but the more players are together the better they tend to play so they just they, they need to keep people on the field and um yeah so i don't i don't have great answers for you know the empty sets and why? Why Fournette went in the game and all that. Um, I'm sure they felt confident in the matchups they were going to, and you know, you didn't. You don't always execute, so that's probably probably what happened.
1: All right, Tommy tweeted us, and he said, "Rick, have you noticed Leonard Fournette is catching the ball better than last season, and he is making people miss too? Do you think he's starting to become the all-purpose back he was becoming when the Bucks signed him last season?"
0: Yeah, I, I'll listen. I'll raise my hand and tell you that I didn't think that Leonard Fournette as a receiver, now he had caught as many as 60 or 70 balls before with Jacksonville, but what I would see is him used a lot in a screen game or, you know, just sort of like, you know, tossed out there um, in the flat. Um, He had seven drops a year ago. So did Ronald Jones. So at least early on, and and we know that, you know, at some point, you know, before he became playoff Lenny, he – was on the bench. And now he was on the bench one game. He was inactive. I mean, so, um, Ronald Jones was doing most of the heavy lifting at that point. And we know Ronald Jones isn't a good receiver or a good, uh, pass protector for that matter. But, but I give, I give Fournette a lot of credit and he has earned the spot of RB one. And he is now being coming a three down back before our eyes. Um, I have seen him, you know, come out of the backfield and run routes and, he tracks the ball well. He's getting yards after the catch, and he's catching the ball. You don't see many drops. Uh, we saw one early, you know, against Dallas. One went off his hands and was intercepted. Um, that was a bad turnover. Jones had the fumble that game. But since then, he's been pretty consistent, and and he's given them something in the passing game. You know, it's not just that he's out there, but Brady trusts him and will check the ball to him, and they'll run a couple wheel routes and get some some you know, some, some one-on-one matchups they like, and he's drawn some pass interference, and he's tracked the ball well, and when he gets it, he runs over people. So he's had he's been a complete back, you know, these last three or four weeks, and averaged over a hundred yards in, in total offense during that stretch. So I, I think I think he has earned the trust of uh, Byron Leftwich and and Tom Brady and Bruce Arians, and and I think they're going to ride him, Be, you know. And I do still think that because it's such a long season and the punishment those guys get that they're going to need Ronald Jones, and they're going to need, you know, Giovanni Bernard and, and maybe even Keyshawn Vaughn before it's over. But for right now, yeah, Leonard Fournette, three down back, no doubt about it.
1: All right, let's switch to college football. we got a couple comments on this one. Les had tweeted, Coach Orgeron is out after only two years after winning a national championship at LSU. Seems like this would make Dan Mullen's seat hotter. So does he have to beat Georgia to save his job? Meanwhile, Michael tweeted, after a 4-3 and three start, how safe is Dan Mullen's job at Florida?
0: I thought it was interesting. You know, the guy that uh, won the game uh, over Florida, whatever it was, 49-45 to 45, or whatever the score is, crazy score, he's the guy that's out, right? And he won a national championship, talking about Ed Orgeron at LSU, just a couple years ago with the Tiger King Joe Burrow, Gold Tigers. If there was ever a guy who embodied everything that that, you know, Bayou Bengals uh, school should embody. It was at Ordron. I mean, he was as he was as Cajun as Cajun can be, and and like I said, he brought them a national championship, and now he's done. Now, although if you look re- at his
1: record, the two years with Joe Burrow, he's like twenty five and three. Mm-hmm. The years without him, he's like twenty five and twenty two or something like that. It's
0: yeah, not good.
1: Uh, you know, I mean, it's it's almost the Willie Taggart at USF type deal.
0: Right, right. And, and and you know what? I would submit, now, you know, there's only a few Nick Sabans, but I would submit mm-hmm. to you that most of your college coaches or a good portion of your college coaches look really good when they have good quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. And when they don't, they don't win as much.
1: <laughs> and yeah. the,
0: same is true as, the same is true in the NFL. I mean, Mac Jones was great in college. Yeah, not so good as a rookie yet, even though he's probably the best rookie. But, like, you know, all of a sudden, Bill Belichick's won nine games in two years. So, you know, quarterbacks matter. And and I know what you're saying about Coach Oge. There's other things about Orgeron, too. Got a divorce, a uh, lot of girlfriends in the around the program. You know, there, there's all kinds of these sort of, you know, secondary issues that uh, maybe the athletic director didn't particularly like about him. Uh, I don't know what his recruiting has been like, whether he's, you know, benefited from that or, or it's been good or bad. Here's what I know about Dan Mullen. He better pay attention, right? Um, I don't know that Dan Mullen thinks his job's in jeopardy, but I don't know why he wouldn't. And, and what I mean is they're going to lose to Georgia, okay? I, I've i been wrong about college football, and we know college football is a crapshoot and anything can happen with 18- to 22-year-olds. Listen, they're going to lose to Georgia. And when they do, they're going to be 4-4 four and four, in my opinion. And at 4-4, four and four, you're going to be scrapping to win eight games and you're out of a New Year's Day bowl. So that's two years in a row where you've won eight games. Um, I think, you know, you look at their – I mean, they beat Tennessee. They beat Vanderbilt, right? Um, they've lost to, like, a bunch of ranked opponents. And, I mean, they, he's done some things that Jim McIlvain was better at, you know? The recruiting was fifth in the SEC. It's not like he's tearing up on that level. And then I'm sorry, but you know what? I don't like the way he's handled his quarterbacks. You know, I know they almost beat Alabama. I get that, you know. But I still think Anthony Richardson should have been playing. I think he's better, period. You know, he led them to four straight scoring drives. Yes, he had two interceptions himself. So did Emory Jones. But Emory Jones got him in a hole in that game at LSU. And he loves Emory Jones, and he didn't know what to do with, with Richardson. Richardson's an NFL talent, and it's up to you to figure it out. And finally, even though that they had played a little bit better before this LSU game, their defense is still terrible. And you had a chance to fire, you know, Grantham after last year's historic collapse on defense, and you didn't. That's on you too, you know? it All of it's on, on Mullen. And, you know, I, I just wondered, like – I covered the University of Florida 100 years ago when they had Emmett Smith and, and Spurrier came, and, you know, I went to the Buck's beat before he coached his first game there, but they had hired him. Um, and I saw where that program was. I saw where, it, where it, what it became. And then, of course, Urban Meyer and all of that. I like to know when the University of Florida didn't care or, or was okay with not winning, forget SEC titles, but not winning national titles. Like, when when did you, when did they get comfortable with that, you know? I mean, you're the University of Florida, and now you got Alabama, who's dominated obviously for years and years. But now you have now you have Georgia. Well, I mean, hell, they play that game in Jacksonville. You're you're right; they're right in your yard. I mean, they they are in your state. You know, coming with the number one team in the nation, and that's your rival. I mean, Florida, Georgia, you know, in the SEC. I mean, that's been it for years and years. Lindsey Nelson, I mean, whatever. Um, so it it just it doesn't make sense to me that everyone thinks Dan Mullen is fine. Why would he be fine? I mean, I know Gator fans. Gator fans, they want to win championships, and you got to play for them. You got to get to the SEC title game before you can play. And if you win one, you're going to be playing for a national championship. And that's that's what I thought Florida was about. So, I I would if I were Dan Mullen, I'd pay attention to all the people getting pink slips around me. I know that. And maybe he is, maybe he isn't. Maybe this is overblown. You know, they loved him enough to give him an extension and more money just a short time ago. But, you know, go out there and win eight games again or seven and tell me how excited they are at the University of Florida about Dan Mullen. I, I would be hard-pressed to think that he doesn't think him, his seat is, is a little hot right now.
1: All right, Michael sent us a note through Facebook, actually. I'm a USF alum who voted to start the team. Are we the hardest luck team since 2010? Things went south when Jim Levitt slapped a player. Then we had Woolard and Holtz, conference realignment, a couple of decent seasons with Willie Taggart, then Charlie Strong and now seemingly little competence out of Jeff Scott's staff. After promising launch of the program, it's been largely a disaster and disappointment. Hate to sound negative, but looking at us objectively, is there any indication Jeff Scott can turn this around?
0: Very little that I've seen. I mean, and I don't know Coach Scott, so it's probably unfair of me to say that, but I'm just looking at the results. They absolutely needed to win that game against Tulsa. When you're up a couple of scores at home uh, against that football team, and hell, for that matter, when you need one yard um, to close out a game and can't get it on fourth down, and then you give up the game-winning touchdown, um, that's a problem. I mean, you haven't beaten a team, you know, an FBS team yet. And um, I don't see a lot of wins on the schedule. I mean, maybe at East Carolina, perhaps maybe home against Temple this next game. We'll see. But but after that, I don't know that you're going to win a football game again this year. And you know, I've seen some progress from the true freshman quarterback McLean, but not enough. Um, in the big moments, he hasn't played well, and that could be coaching. That could be him. But whatever it is, they're not getting it done. And, you know, I'm just trying to figure out, like, what is Scott's recruiting pitch going to be? You know, if you don't show improvement, if you don't show development of players, um, give, the, give me a reason why I'm going to USF if, if if you're recruiting me. And I'm not going some other place in the state of Florida or even outside the state of Florida. I don't know why USF is running into this stretch. I think certainly um, – you know, the way the program started, Leroy Selman as its biggest ambassador, Jim Levitt, it meant something to him, a guy from St. Petersburg, Dixie Hollins High School, all of that. Um, we're not going to relitigate why he was fired or whether he should have been or, or any of that. Obviously, Taggart had some good years with Quentin Flowers. Again, the quarterback makes a huge difference when you've got that guy. But even even Willie was on the brink of maybe losing his job until Flowers took over. Um like I said this story many times, we we talked to him every Tuesday on the radio show and at one point it was like I got to ask him if he's worried about his job, you know, and then Flowers took over and they started winning and and the rest was history for Willie who then parlayed that into Oregon and parlayed that into Florida State and now he's worked his way back down the ladder of success. Um, but South Florida has I mean there's there's you know there's several things. One, this is a competitive state for college football. I mean, you know, the institutional Programs are not that far away. Gainesville, you know, down the road, University of Florida, Florida State's been around forever, Miami. Um, they finally got some of those teams on the schedule. They, they became competitive when Levitt was there against some of them. Um, but you, now UCF has has risen up and has become a, a recognizable power in their conference. And, you know, there's just a lot of competition uh, and a lot of different places where guys can go just in this state alone. And at some point you have to win, you know, the stadium thing, um, you know, what, what's the, what's the student body, um, interest, you know, in the program. Um, I, I personally don't think that it matters if they have an on-campus stadium or not. That's just my personal belief. I think alumni pay the bills for those things and they'd rather have their bells and whistles, you know, at Raymond James, but it isn't a college atmosphere, you know, and you can't find many universities that thrive. Uh, in NFL stadiums, there are many that play there, but I don't know that they all. You know, it's not it's not what you think about when you think about college football. I mean, you'll see it in some metropolitan cities like Tampa or Cincinnati and places like that, but it's it's not always ideal. Um, and and I, you know, I I don't know that they've gotten the coaching right. You know, and and the thing about Coach Scott is just simple, simply that he's never been a head coach. You know, like this is his first bite of the apple. And there are guys, like his dad, who were really, really good coordinators and when they became head coaches, they weren't. They they just it's a different job. And I don't know that we have enough information to really judge him yet. I'm hoping that they turn it around. They seem to be getting closer. Um, but close doesn't matter. You know, guys wanna win. That's that's where you want to go play. You wanna play where you can win and be on T V and get to the NFL. So um they haven't done any of that yet and it's getting late i mean it really is like you're running out of games you can win and you can't go two seasons and win a game each year um i don't care who you are so they they need to show progress and i i do think that it's been unfortunate because i I root for that program to survive it's it's great to have college football you know in tampa bay um I guess the AAC is talking about expansion now. I saw North Texas, saw a bunch of teams. There was a report. Yeah,
1: Rice, North Texas. Uh, six yeah. schools are looking at uh, uh, adding to the FAU, AAC. I think, maybe. Um, mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. There's quite a few. You know, s- disappointing Arkansas State wasn't one. I don't know why they missed that one. That um, should but have been the first one. It should have been. But, you know, um, college football's changing, man, and, and, you know, survive and adapt, but... They can't compete with the teams that are currently in the AAC and that's disappointing because you're in the state of Florida, you're in central Florida where there's high school talent everywhere. You got to find a way to keep some of these kids home even if they're not your 4 and 5 star recruits. There's plenty of players to be had. And Jim Levitt did a good job of that. I think to some degree Taggart did, Charlie Strong did not in my opinion. Um for Charlie, you know, I don't want a guy working his way down that you know that's just using this to get back into the big time. I want somebody like coach scott that you know wants to be here for a while and and then then you see but it just hasn't worked yet and uh, and we're all waiting i thought saturday was going to be the day i thought they're going to walk off and celebrate a big win against tulsa and it all collapsed and it's unfortunate it shouldn't have happened however that game turned out they needed better coaching they needed better players better plays um better execution all of that they should have won that football game they should not have lost that football game and they did and it's Going to really test them now to see if they can bounce back from that because that was gut-wrenching.
1: Well, Steve followed up, and he tweeted, Should USF just accept its fate, build a small on-campus stadium, and compete in a lesser conference like the Sun Belt or CUSA? Wouldn't be the worst idea.
0: I don't know. Uh, it's, I don't you know, think you want
1: to go down on conferences. I don't think that helps yeah. you.
0: I don't, yeah, it's a hard sell. I mean, think about what you're saying. So you're going to get people to finance a stadium so that you can play teams that nobody wants to go see. You know that no, that's not competitive. You know that's a lower level of college football. I mean, that's usually not an easy sell because you're trying. You want people to support you. They all want to be part of a big time college football program. They all want to be. You know, if you're an alumni of USF, you want to be proud of your football program the the way they are at Florida, the way they are at Florida State, the way they are at Central Florida. So, you're not looking to move down so yeah no I think that's a tough sell I'm telling you this on campus football thing everybody thinks that this is the holy grail you know that well you get this campus boy you get this stadium and and it's a done deal mm, I don't know man I don't, I don't know if it's that simple you know I, I think you gotta get players and I do think the indoor facility is big and I think what they're doing in terms of you know trying to upgrade and have what everybody else has but you know I don't know that players when, when you're recruited. Like if you're going out there competing for a player, he's gonna. You know, it's not like the old days where it was like I heard them. I heard somebody talking about USC this way. It's like USC traditional program, student body right. N- n- nobody born in this century knows what the hell student body right was. Right, like they don't care about the history and the Heisman Trophy winners and Charles White and OJ and all the. You know, it, it's it's basically. How often are you on TV? What conference do you play in? How can I get to the NFL? Who are the players that went from there to the NFL? You know? What do the uniforms look like? I mean, seriously, this is what, you know, what are the facilities like? You know? How many combinations do we have of helmets and pants? And, the, you know, I it, that's sort of the thing guys worry about. So it's like on-campus stadium, off game, I mean, that's for the fans, right? That's you want a more intimate on-campus. All right. Well, there's not... As far as I know, there's not, like, a huge resident population on campus at USF. I mean, there's some there's some student housing around there, right? But but that's kind of a suitcase college, you know? I mean, I don't know how many people are living on campus at the University of South Florida. Well, that that's so, what
1: happens in a lot of these, uh, you know, I'm familiar with the University of Cincinnati where I went. It's the same thing. I mean, right. Most right. of the students didn't don't live on campus. They live no. in, you know, Cincinnati or the surrounding areas and commute. I mean, right. That's what happens when you're in a, a metropolis.
0: Yes, instead of you go, a go home on the weekends. Mm-hmm. You go home on the uh, weekends. Go home every and, and night. A lot, most of the kids. Yeah, you, you many of them live at home or live mm-hmm. live in an apartment close to this university. You know, they're not on campus. It's Not like you know where you you get up and it's a kegger and everybody's at the you know the student residences that you just walk a couple you know hundred yards to the to the ball yard. I mean, it's just it's not like Florida. It's not like some small town you know, that has on-campus housing and, you know, all this. I mean, they have some. I know, they, they. you know, there's apartments around. I know I know all that, and it's growing, and I get it. But just doesn't strike me as that sort of atmosphere, you know, um, or that, that sort of co- – so, I mean, again, this idea of all we need is an on-campus stadium, which is going to be smaller, which might make it seem more crowded, which is going to have no facilities, okay, from bathrooms to – club seats to sky suites all those things the boosters that are going to pay for the stadium want they're not going to have any of it you know you're going to end up with a bounce house too you know and from what i know that building's falling apart so what are you building and why you know so so kids can walk to the games like I, I, are they really
1: i think the on campus stadium adds to it but at the end of the day and we've talked about this with culture winning is it what
0: winning is them. is what brings them yeah, yeah. listen Rock, how how rocking was it back in the day when – I I can just remember USF was playing like number two ranked – or at one point USF was ranked number two when they went to mm-hmm. Rutgers. They played West Virginia. That's the mm-hmm. game I remember at Raymond James that was freaking sold 2007, out. 2007, I believe. Yeah. I mean, you couldn't get a ticket. We wanted to go. We couldn't go. Like, why how did that happen? It's Raymond James. It's not on campus. How would they get 65,000 people? Well, I'll tell you how. They won. And they had a good chance of winning that night. And so, you know, the culture is winning. It's it's you, you can go chicken and the egg if you want. We've got to change the culture. No, you gotta win. You gotta win, you gotta to learn to win. You gotta learn not to beat yourselves. And then when you start winning, the culture changes. And then everybody wants to be part of a winner. The fans wanna be part of a winner. They're gonna wear the colors, they're gonna come out, it's gonna be the thing to do. Um players are going to, in the area are gonna to wanna to go to USF. I mean, that's that's how this works. But you gotta win. And you gotta find a way to to be competitive and have a good product. This is entertainment. This is all it is. This is your entertainment dollar. There's NFL. There's college football. There's Major League Baseball. There's National Hockey League. You're competing for the same entertainment dollar everybody in this market is competing for. You know, a little different brand. It's college. I get it. More pageantry. All of that, you know, um, is a different game. But um, people still want to attach themselves to a winner. It's still got to be entertaining. And, and they have not been entertaining. They have not been competitive. And this is the AAC. This is not the SCC. So, you know, they, they got to start there, man. you, you got to start with, with getting the players and the ones you have, putting in position to win. And if you can't do that, they're going to find another coach. And they keep trying this. So I think it's a shame because I'd love for USF to be successful. And they have been in the past, and it was a lot of fun, a hell of a lot of fun.
1: Well, there's but, also some opportunities in the state right now. Is this, what the first time in 10 years that there's not a team ranked in the AP poll in the state of yeah. Florida?
0: Yeah. How about that?
1: I mean, all this talent here in the state, and none of the programs are thriving at this point. So, why go, is You that? have opportunities. Uh,
0: I mean, why is that?
1: It's a good question.
0: Doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't make sense to me. There's as many players that come from Florida, California, Texas, and the NFL of anywhere in the country. And, and God knows that every every uh college football program comes down here to find them mm-hmm. you'll find them at michigan you'll find them at wisconsin you'll find them at ohio state you'll find them at south carolina or lsu or you know what i mean like they're everywhere indiana tom florida Will, players
1: you know, tom wilson taking tom players allen. To indiana or tom yeah. allen no, tom,
0: tom yeah allen. yeah he's gotten a bunch of guys from tampa um and that's my thing. Like you you know, you gotta keep keep them in the state. I mean you know, and to that to that end, I mean Florida and Florida State need to do that as well. And always have been successful doing that. And Miami can just put a fence around Miami. I mean South Florida They used to. They the haven't done that lately, but they used to be able to No. No. And Manny Diaz is gonna get fired, period. You know, I think he's the first guy to go of the state schools. Um I don't know why. I mean, I thought he had it turned around and now it's not going the right way, but yeah, it's, it's the lowest point of college football in my lifetime. You know, I mean, I, when I was growing up and, you know, Miami was coming of age and they had the Howard Schnellerberger show on channel 44. And, you know, he's talking about, Oh, I got these quarterbacks lined up. You know, I got Jim Kelly and Benny Testaverdi and Bernie Kosar, and they're all on the team, the same team. and, you know, of course, Florida, you know, had certainly had its national championships not that long ago, and Spurrier and then Urban Meyer. And we know what Bobby Bowden did at Florida State. And every year, Florida, Florida State was like, you know, to see who might play for a national championship. You're forgetting UCF's national
1: championship. Um,
0: and then UCF won one. Right. And then the world was on its axis. But yeah, I mean, you know, how many years was this state the most dominant? I mean, here's the Bobby Bowden finishing the top five, top ten. Cool. You know, like all three schools at times were were right up there, Miami, Florida, and Florida State. So, you know, the the state rivals were, were just amazing games and big-time games. I used to cover those games. I wouldn't be the first beat writer except when I covered the Gators, but there were times when they would send me, you know, I did Miami, Oklahoma. What did our readers care about that? Well, they were big college football fans, and Miami was great, and, they, and Oklahoma had the boss. You know that was a place to be in the orange bowl that that Saturday. There was nothing like it um so i I hope it gets back to that, but we are we are definitely in the the ebb of college football in in probably my lifetime or certainly in the time that i that I covered sports, which is a good portion of my lifetime <laughs> so just trust trust me folks. I go back away but yeah it's 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 grim and yet I know I know that these high school teams are great and that there's players everywhere and they're going to other programs and you've got to find a way to keep them here. That's called recruiting.
1: All right, we'll end on this and go snarf tweeted us. He said in the off season, who do you think will be the biggest name? The Rays trade Kevin Kiermaier or even Tyler glass now?
0: Yes. And yes, um, I think it's possible they trade one or both, maybe even both, but um, Kiermaier, I mean, the problem with trade, the, the thing about Kiermaier, and this was a case probably last year, is you know, big salary and probably not a lot of interest I mean it's you know you, you take you know how much how much salary are they willing to eat to, to get rid of him because I don't think anybody's taken all of his contract um, you know he's played less and less he's been more of a platoon player the last couple of years injuries weren't as big of a thing because again he wasn't playing as much a year ago um, still made more than any position player on the baseball team <laughs> I mean you know love KK but I don't know that he, you know I don't know that that you want to pay that much money to him at this stage of his career and Glassnell's not going to pitch next season and you know we've talked about his contract situation you know you you're going to have to be in for a dime and for a dollar you sign him to a long-term deal now um you know if you get him back what are you getting and are you going to have him for a year or no or or what you know like how you know what's you're willing to invest and he's going to come back from Tommy John and be as good or better. A lot of guys are. So that that's a tricky one. Um, if I had to guess, just because they have a lot of outfielders and they still got more guys in Durham, and um, if I had to guess those two, I think you'd probably trade Kiermaier, but I could be wrong. It could be the other way. I think Brendan or-
1: Lau is a very big possibility this offseason. Oh, absolutely. And, and not not necessarily because of his what he's done in the postseason the last two years, although that may influence it. It's more about the kids you got coming up. Taylor Walls, yeah, Bruhan, Vidal and- Bruhan. It's, it's going to be more about those guys. It's kind of like you know what you did with Wonder Wander Franco. Franco. You got rid yeah. of Willie Adamas to clear the the way for Walls and 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 Frank Franco to come up and that. So, That's right. You know you, you trade from depth. I mean Kiermaier, the Glassnow one's a hard one because, because of his injury. Yeah. Well, but his injury, but.
0: Plus what but, they owe
1: him. Well, what, yeah, that's all part of it. I mean, it's going to be $12 million the next two years for him to pitch one year. And then he's become mm-hmm. a free agent, I believe. Mm-hmm. But the hard part is is that, okay, you believe McClanahan's going to be a good starter. I think Shane Boz could be. But I don't know who else you have on your team that's, that's that bona fide starter. And you know Tyler Glass now is. And so while you can get a lot for him, maybe. Are you willing to roll the dice to try to keep him knowing that he can be a lockdown number one starter for you? Where, you know, if you trade Kevin Kiermaier, you've got guys like Brett Phillips and Manuel Margot that can fill in in center field. You've got depth there. I don't think you have as much starting pitching ace depth, which, you know, most teams don't have that. You Mm -hmm. know, like I said, I think McClanahan, I think Shane Boz can become. Do I think Drew Rasmussen's an ace or, or near the top rotation guy? Not sure yet. Maybe. Um, and then after that, who do you have? You, you know, Luis Patino. Maybe.
0: Yeah, that's that's a tough one. Yeah. You know,
1: and 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 look, I think Patino's a good pitcher, but you know, when you start talking about, you know, I mean Kevin Kiermaier defensively, you know, no one can touch him, or you know, there's there's nobody better than him. Hmm. But his offensive game is not where it should be. I mean, Tyler now is a bona fide one of the best starting pitchers when he's healthy or was yeah. before his, you know, we'll see what happens after Tommy John. You know, yeah. I mean, that's an elite-type player. I mean, that's that's a you know Blake Snell type, which they got back Francisco Mejia, Luis Patino, and other prospects. I mean, right. they got back a haul for, for Blake Snell. Right. But with Glassnell's injury, how much of a haul would you get back? I don't know.
0: I don't know. But if he's a number one starter and he's an ace, okay, mm-hmm. those guys usually cost $25 million. Right. You know, so so maybe you get a year out of him. You know, if he comes back, not next season, but the year after, you pay him twelve million dollars, and you you know then you got to look and see what you got. Maybe you trade him then, but I'd be I'd be willing to see what he how he recovers. Mm-hmm. It'd be difficult to let him go. You know, just because of all the talent that he showed and all the promise. I, I, I mean, guys do come back from Tommy John. You know. Um,
1: well, yeah, but, I have no doubt he can come back. Now, and the other part is, you know what is someone willing to give up for Tyler Glass now?
0: Well, absolutely. You
1: know, are, yeah. are, are a team like, you know, whether it's Yankees or Red Sox or Dodgers or anybody else going – Give me
0: your top prospects and you know, in two years I've you know, got two or three we know we, we can
1: re-sign it. him in two years. Oh, yeah. We're not worried about that part of it. And, you know, it locks up a bona fide ace. Exactly. You know, if they're willing to do that. But if, if teams aren't, you know, I think it becomes interesting.
0: Yeah. No, it's gonna to be tough decisions for sure that they gotta make. But I, I also think, you know, this notion of we got young and young talent and young pitchers and we're gonna ride our young pitchers, wouldn't mind seeing a guy that had a little experience on that staff that can still pitch like Charlie Morton. We've already discussed that mm-hmm. decision.
1: Well, um, and, and and you know, unfortunately for the Rays this year and and look injuries are part of it, but you know some of the guys you were counting on to be big time guys in your playoffs Glass now being one of them, Nick Chris Anderson. Archer. I don't know if they were counting on Chris Archer at that point, but
0: well, not at that point. But they paid him six million dollars, well, so yeah. they expect yeah. him to be part of the damn rotation. He did nothing.
1: Yeah, but I mean, guys like Nick Anderson was hurt. Yeah, um, he didn't come you, back. You know, and he was such a good pitcher last season, not in the postseason. Yeah. But
0: they just needed starters, though. Man, mm-hmm. they need they. You know, I this. You know, the analytics are great during the regular season. I still think when you get into the playoffs, we've seen it in postseason so far this year, you need guys to take the ball, you know, and go out there and give you five or six strong innings and take it four or five days later and do it again. And that's that, those are the teams that are going to win the World Series. And if you can't compete for them because of the salary cap and, you know, the Dodgers can trade for Max Scherzer or, you know, these, these teams get – you know, fortified at the end and you can't get those guys for whatever reasons. Um I mean, you know, you got some young guys that look promising, but I don't know. Maybe maybe Shane Boz becomes like Tyler Glass now, you know, left handed I mean, you just don't know. Mm-hmm. You know, like but that that's what it's gonna take. It's gonna take one or two of these guys just becoming like absolute aces. You know, just lights out type dominating pitchers while you still have control on their contracts. But um I not I, I mean that's That's a tough sell right now, you know. But I I like—I'd hate to give up on Glass now. But again, like you said, what do you get for him? Can I can I fortify my entire minor leagues with a bunch of prospects? And you know, one or two years, I got a a couple guys up here that can throw like him. I mean, that might be possible too. It's just unfortunate he got hurt because they really, really needed him. If he were healthy, certainly I think the playoffs look different for them. Mm Hmm. Um, but he wasn't, and now they've got to they got to figure it out. It's going to be an interesting offseason. All right, thanks for your questions. Those are always great, and of course, the answers are one hundred percent guaranteed. We've got the Lightning hosting the Stinking Panthers, as they used to call them. I guess this is quite a rivalry. These two teams are really, really becoming rivals because of their postseason action uh, the last couple of years. And I think Florida is one of the best teams in the NHL. So that'll be something to watch. We're going to talk college football. With Matt Baker, we'll find out if he thinks if Dan Mullen's on the hot seat, or for that matter, if anybody is in the state of Florida. So we got that to look forward to, and we'll get you ready for the Bucks hosting the Chicago Bears at Raymond James Stadium, national televised game. Hello, friends, Jim Nance. Okay, Jim, watch out, Tony. We got those guys on Sunday. It's going to be fun. Jim Nance and Tony Romo coming aboard for Bucks Bears. So. Lots to look forward to. We'll talk to Tom Brady on Thursday, see if his voice is better. Maybe he'll just sign language with us. I don't know. Something will happen, but we'll have a chance to interview him. So thanks for listening. Thanks again for your questions. For Steve Burstick, I'm Rick Stroud of the Tempe Times. Have a great day, everybody.